Well, good morning. Sorry about that. I just had to make sure my mind was in the right place. I just introduced myself to a stranger that I'd already met. So I, I, that's where I kind of live. So uh, sorry about that. Um, but today we're, uh, we, we finished James uh, last, uh, last week, I guess it was. It's been a long week. <laughs> it seems like it was a long time ago, but uh, just last week. And I, I'm going to start a short series. I believe in preaching through the Word of God. And, and the reason I do is the subject of the sermon today. So these are one of those topical sermons that I must apologize for after I preach it because I don't believe in preaching these kind of sermons. But uh, I do want to kind of lay a foundation. What we're calling this a whole uh, series is Foundational Principles for the Church. And, uh, and today is one called Sola Scriptura. Now, that's Latin, and I don't speak Latin. Uh, Pastor Andy's daughter does, she knows Latin, and I was going to have her come up and translate it for you because in my mind it would have been funny and cute because she would have stepped up and said, Scripture alone, and walked off. And I thought that would be kind of fun, but, uh, but I didn't want to waste time and make you do that. So, uh, and, and she's back there going, oh, thank the Lord. Uh, but anyway, uh, I appreciate her wanting to do that. But let me tell you where that comes from and, and why we're talking about this. You can be open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. That's where we'll be today uh, on this subject. And I'm going to use uh, these Latin terms for five weeks, not because I know Latin and love Latin, but because they're known as the five solas. And let me kind of uh, lay the groundwork of where all that comes from. I want to make a statement to begin. So this is like the official beginning of the sermon, all right? Christianity begins and ends in the Word of God, the written, given Word of God. There is nothing to add to it, and you should not take away from it, all right? Is that... All right, you think you understand that, and I believe that you do, but I want to make sure we are crystal clear on that subject because that, sounds can, that can sound like an extreme statement at first, especially in the climate in which we live. Uh, right now, uh, we're on the media today. We're on Facebook. You can go to our website. You, you, know, you can see us on, online, and if we can do it, anybody can do it, okay? Uh, and that's not to slam us because we're doing, a, I believe, a really pretty good job. But, uh, but, but it is to say that it doesn't matter what you believe. There was a day, man, if you got something published, people thought, oh, it's got to be true. It's written down. And, uh, and, and I learned growing up that, that even that wasn't necessarily true. You could start your own publishing company and write whatever you wanted. So we've always needed discernment, but we've not always used it, okay? But in today's world, we've got information coming at us like crazy. I mean, on television, on, on so many social media sites, radio. I can listen to radio all day long and listen to news 24 hours a day, radio and television on the Internet. We have so much coming at us. How do you wade through this, this flood of information to get to the truth? And so for, for me right now, at least, I've shut down a lot of those sources. I used to listen to a lot of them, look at a lot of them, and I'm just, I'm, I'm weary of it. So I've just sort of shut them all down. But for the church, and let me just bring it inside the walls for a minute, and I don't mean the physical walls, I mean inside the body of believers. For us, there is nothing outside of this that we trust. The book of Romans says this, let God be true and every man a liar. And God has only spoken 
here. In fact, keep your finger in, in 2 Timothy and turn over just a few pages to the book of Hebrews and listen to what Hebrews says. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Now, let me define a couple of things here. First of all, who are the prophets? Those were the people that wrote in the Old Testament. They were the preachers. So we have history and we have teaching uh, preachers in the Old Testament. But then it says, in these last days. What are these last days? The writer of Hebrews is talking about from Jesus' life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. From that point on is the last days. Once Jesus came, we come into the last days. Now, we like to use that, that phrase today. And while I'm saying that, let me make sure you understand what I'm saying. We hear that term a lot today, and a lot of people use that term to get us excited about Jesus could come in the next minute. And even though, as far as I know, that could be true, I think we'll see more signs before that, but we do see signs leading us into those last of the last days. But we've been in the last days for over 2,000 years. And so some people start going, well, see, he's not coming. Well, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day, so God's only been gone for the weekend. Jesus has only been gone, you know, since Friday. He's, he could be coming back now. We don't know. I mean, and, and one, one uh, scholar said, well, that's 2,000 good reasons to know it's closer than ever before, right? Uh, he, he, he could come, and, and that's fine, but the writer of Hebrews is saying, so since Jesus came, what the Son said is what we base everything we read even in the Old Testament on. There's a verse, and I, I may share that with you later on, where Jesus said that um, you search the Scriptures, talking about the Old Testament, for in them you uh, find eternal life, and these are the ones that speak about me. Jesus points us to the Old Testament to say, look for the Messiah there and make sure, and you can see that it applies to himself. That's what he was saying to us. And so here in Hebrews, he is saying in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. And then there's a lot of things describing him. And then it says, who sat down? And the reason it says who sat down is because Jesus is our final judge. And when the judge comes in the courtroom and sits down, it's done. So the Bible is saying he sat down, all the preliminaries are over, and now we are courts in session until he gets up and returns. So you, you may actually agree with me before the end of the day, even if you think that was an extreme statement. But, but here's what you got to understand. From the moment of man's fall, and man did fall, there was, God created two individuals, Adam and Eve. This is not metaphorical it is not a euphemism it is not a parable there was one man and one woman we won't get into the science of why that's possible but if you got questions about how that worked you can talk to me afterwards I'll tell you what Christians believe about that but there was one man and one woman and they messed it up and Adam was the head of the human race and whatever he did is going to be what passes on to the rest of us and Adam blew it. And when Adam blew it, God came to them in the garden and promised a Savior. And in that very moment of our falling, 
a savior, a deliverer would come, and God sent messengers, and that's what Hebrews 1 is talking about, prophets for thousands of years. He sent people to speak to us about what God was going to do. And that we, so that we could recognize that deliverer. And so we can read these messages in the Old Testament, but then we hit a blank page in our Bibles. Now, th this paper and ink is not inspired, and so that blank page between the end of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew is not an inspired page, but it is a good illustration. God went quiet for 400 years, 400, all right? 400 years, God went quiet. And then God spoke, and to whom did he speak? He spoke to a man who was working in the temple and said, your wife's going to have a baby. Now, his wife was past menopause, and he was past father and a child. And he went, I, I don't get that. How's that going to work? And so the angel spoke to him and said, it's going to be a boy. You're going to name him John. And by the way, since you don't want to believe God, we're gonna sh you're, gonna you're not going to be able to talk until he's born. So for nine months, Zacharias couldn't even talk. And when the baby was born, they said, what are you going to name him? Because, you know, you got to name him Junior, right? you got to name him after your father, your grandfather, right? And he said, and they brought him a towel, and he wrote, his name will be John, because that's what the angel told him to name him. First word, God spoke in 400 years. And he came in the spirit of Elijah to, to proclaim the way of the coming of the Messiah. He was Jesus' cousin. He was born uh, six months before Jesus was born. And then the angel goes to a virgin three months later named Mary and says, oh Mary, you're going to have a baby too. Really? How's that going to work? <laughs> said, God's going to put a baby in you and his name will be the Savior of the world. And so we know that story. And so Mary goes and finds Elizabeth and Elizabeth jumps, uh, John jumps in Elizabeth's womb when the coming of the Messiah came uh, into the presence. And so the prophet uh, God spoke then, but that boy, that boy that was born, John the Baptist, he was a prophet, an Old Testament prophet in the spirit of Elijah. And about 30 years later, Jesus walks, John has been preaching in the wilderness for six months, saying, repent, the kingdom of God is coming. Repent, the kingdom of God is coming. And six months later, Jesus comes walking down to be baptized, and John points his prophet finger and says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And God speaks to us again and says, here he is, folks. It's Jesus. And then Hebrews lets us know Jesus is the last word. Now, that's written for us in John 1.21 where John the Baptist says, and you can look in the Gospel of John if you want to, just make sure I said that right. And John points to him as the Lamb of God that's going to take away all of our sin because that's what salvation means. Salvation, that means God's going to make you healthy, wealthy, happy, wise, and prosperous. Salvation means you're a wretched sinner who deserves hell. And if I don't get hell, I get more than I deserve. You see, we think we, we deserve more. We're always arguing for our rights and what we should should get what we should get is hell it's not a, it's not amazing god sent anybody to hell it's amazing he lets anybody into heaven and we need to understand salvation is a gift from god and it was paid for by the death of christ on a cross and to come to christ is to repent of our sin and to bow before him because if you go to John 1, 29 and you see those, that verse, you go back up to the first verse and it says this, in the beginning, whenever the beginning was for us in time, was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
And it's saying that Jesus is that word. The living word came to finish the written word so that that word would bear witness of him. That's John 5, 38 and 39 that I said. He said, search the scriptures, they speak of me. And therefore, Christianity begins and ends with the word of God. In Revelation 22, 13, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Amen? Somebody say amen. I know I'm preaching fast and y'all are like, you don't usually talk like this, I know. He is the word of God. This is the word of God, the Bible, but he is the living word through whom we translate the Bible. Everything about that we know about Christ. See, there are folks that would like to say, oh, well, I just love Jesus. Just give me Jesus. I don't need all that doctrine. I don't need all that understanding. I don't need all that theology. Well, without the doctrine and theology, which Jesus are you talking about? The Mormons believe in Jesus, but they don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible. The Roman Catholics believe in a Jesus, but they don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible. Yeah, I just said that. The Jehovah Witnesses, I mentioned them, they believe in Jesus. The Mormons believe in a Jesus. The Quran says that the angels fought over who would tell Mary that she was going to have that baby and calls him a prophet higher than Mohammed. I just made myself a target, but anyway. Did you know that? That's in the Quran. I'm just quoting the Quran back to him. He is the Word of God. And there's nothing added. And so we've got to understand the Scripture to understand the Jesus whom we worship. You following me? Are you with me? That's why it's so vitally important. That's why it is so necessary for us to stay in the Word of God and know the Word of God. The idea that the Bible alone is revelation is not a problem that is only true in our day. It's true in our day. You say, what are you talking about? Well, I'll give you an older example just so I don't offend everybody at once. A decade or so ago, it had to have been more than a decade, a couple of decades ago, Oral Roberts this was the first one where people finally went, what? He came out and said, Jesus said to me, and he was one of the very first guys to use television. He pioneered that. He gave us a great example of that. And he put what he thought the Lord told him in quotation marks. Now, they weren't upset that he said the Lord told him. They were upset they put it in quotation marks. But friend, if I tell you, and I have said this, I, I, listen, I am not getting up here saying, oh, I never did. Because when I say it, I just think, well, you know, the Lord kind of, impressed upon me something and and that would be true but when i say the lord said to me i'm saying the lord said to me and only one of two things can be true if i mean that literally either we need to reopen the bible and add it in there somewhere or i'm wrong there's no middle ground there because the scripture is finished the word is spoken there is no new revelation. And so when a preacher, so-called, be me or someone else, gets up and tells you, and the Lord said to me this, and I say something, I'm in error. Let God be true and every man a liar. And friend, there are plenty of them. They sell their books in the Baptist bookstore. I won't pick on everybody else. We do it. We sell them. We, we, we hold them up as, as people that to whom we ought to listen. You see, the men of old had to face that problem, and the, here's where I'm going to tell you the five Latin phrases. that We went into the Dark Ages and, and, and what happened in the church, and then it was only the Roman Catholic Church 
they translated the Bible into Latin, and then they made Latin. Like some people make the King James the only legitimate translation. Their Latin translation was the only legitimate translation. And, they, and the people couldn't read it, and they said, that's okay, we'll explain it to you. And then they started lying about it. And they started saying, oh, you want to send, I'm looking at Ken, I won't pick on Ken. But I'll, there's nobody on the front row. I'm going to pick Invisible Bob right there. And if your name's Bob, I apologize, just most common name in the world. Bob, listen. You said you wanted to go sin. Tell you what, you give me 50 bucks and that sin will be covered. And I'll, I'll pray and God will forgive you your sin. That's called an indulgence. You could buy in advance the right to sin. And so, a hundred years before Martin Luther, there came some other reformers who started saying, wait, this ain't right. We got to change some stuff up. But when Martin Luther came along, if you remember on October 31st, he nailed, in 1512, he nailed the theses on the wall of the door of the church in Wittenberg. And that was like, that was like our Instagram today. And he put them up there, and these are 95 reasons the church is wrong. And one of them was the selling of indulgences, because he said that is not in the Word of God, and it's not. Infant baptism's not in the Word of God. Buying forgiveness for your sin before you commit it is not in the Word of God. And a lot of other things is not in the Word of God. And that's on one extreme, but on the other extreme, at the very same time that those things were happening, the Renaissance and the Reformation are happening all at once, there were people that started getting new revelations from God. Dreams and visions from God. And saying, God said this, and God's showing us a new thing, friend. Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. That's in the Bible. And God said this is the word that speaks of Christ, and this is the word to which we listen. Man, y'all are quiet. I'm scared now. <laughs> I'm not scared when my kids are making noise. I'm scared when they get quiet. And I'm not calling y'all kids. Sorry about that. So these reformers came up with, and they never said these. They never put these together. But later, as we looked through the literature and things that they did, they put these five phrases together. And I won't do them in Latin because that doesn't mean anything to you or me. I'll say them in English. Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, to God alone be glory. And on fi those five foundations... The Protestant Reformation stood, and the church is now alive and back. Uh, listen, the Baptist ancestors messed it up in those days. Uh, we got away from the, the bad stuff, but we got our own bad stuff. But then some of us came back around and got it, it, got it straight. So I, I'm excited about that part, at least that we, we finally got, got a hold of it. And, and so today we're looking at this idea because there's still that idea out there that I can hear from God, that I need to be some kind of super Christian that gets this amazing revelation from God. I, that's not true. God's revelation is for every man. He put it down in, on paper with ink so that you can read what God has to say to every man. Amen. And so here's, what, here's the phrase I want you to take home with. That's just introduction. I hope you all are ready. All right. Woo, I don't know if I can ever do that again. Listen, here's what I want you to take home with you today. There is no truth without the Bible. Period. There is no truth without the Bible. Now listen, that, that bleeds over into the secular world, the world outside of Christianity, where every man is right in his own eyes. What makes abortion wrong? I would ask you, what makes abortion wrong? What makes lying wrong? What makes stealing wrong? Well, everybody just knows you ought not do, well, not the abortion thing, because everybody doesn't know that. Our governor doesn't know that. Our governor killed a baby after it was born. Right? 
Now, I'm not being political. I'm just saying that was his public statement. Well, he's not alone in that. There's a lot of people do that. That's called infanticide. There's also, you get so old. Listen, I'm, I'm wearing some very expensive equipment on my body right now to keep me alive because I'm a diabetic. And I mean, it is making me healthy, and I'm so glad of that. But you know, I'm 61, and things are starting to fall apart. And another 10 years or so, it's going to get too, more expensive to keep me alive and it's just put me in the ground. And so why don't we just let the old people die so the world won't be overpopulated, quote unquote. And we want to spend so much money and health care won't be so expensive. Do you see where we're headed, folks? As you listen to the news, understand that a lot of things are being told is to set you up to go, well, yeah, I guess that makes sense. When the Bible says that God is the author of life and only he has the right to take it away. Right? Except in some circumstances he outlined that's very, very, very true. So there is no truth outside the Bible. The reason lines wrong is because the Bible said it. That's what Paul said. Until the law came, I was fine. But then the law came and said, that sin, I became a sinner. I didn't know it until God said it. And so the church above all people and all things ought to be obeying the very word of God and not listening to anyone, me included, who would say anything that's not found in the scripture. And that's why I say if you disagree with me, I want you to tell me, not because I want to try to beat you up intellectually, because I don't want to be wrong about what God says in his word. And I'm thankful. There are people that call me and say, Pastor, did you think about this? You know what? You're right, I didn't. Thank you. Because I need that, just like you need that. And I pray that I'm always, you know, correct in preaching the Scripture, and I should be. But that, I'm, I'm a human, I will make error, and I'd rather you be studying the Scripture. And went, Wait a minute, I don't quite get that. And if I can't prove it to you in the Bible, you ought not listen to me. Some of those folks out there saying what God said to them is not, is very easily discounted when you understand Scripture. And so let me get to the text. I read the, t- I didn't even read the text, did I? <laughs> wow, I just realized... That is bad. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let me just read this for you uh, quickly so that I can uh, outline this here. And this is, uh, the truths I'm going to talk about are found in many places in the Bible. I'm going to try to focus in on these. But as for you, he's talking to Timothy. This is Paul writing, talking to uh, Timothy. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let me just start off. In, in the early verses, I want you to understand what's going on. In verse 14 and 15, Paul starts off by saying to Timothy, continue in what you have learned. Now, Paul is pointing out to, Paul, to Timothy's teachers. And another place in Timothy, he mentions his mother and his grandmother. Timothy was half Jewish. His father was not Jewish. His mother and grandmother were. And so Timothy became a disciple of Paul's. And, and, and he walked around Paul, and Paul left him to be the pastor in the church, and he writes to Timothy to help him out. And that's what 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy are all about. We call them the pastoral epistles, and Titus is also one of those, because he is telling Timothy, this is how you do church, okay? This is what you need to be doing. And he writes to him and says, continue in what 
you have learned. Did you catch that? Verse 14. So you, Timothy, but you, because he's talking about um, a lot of uh, things that are going on, suffering and, and evil people and imposters going from bad to worse and deceiving and being deceived, what we were talking about earlier. But as for you, continue in what you've learned. When you hear deceivers, stay in the Scripture, what you have learned. And he's going to make that very clear. And have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned them, from good teachers like himself probably, Paul is thinking, and how from childhood, talking back about his mom, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. This is an unusual term for Paul to use. Josephus uses this term, talking about the Old Testament. And this is a, a, not a common phrase in the New Testament. So Paul is pointing to the Old Testament, but hang on, you say, oh, so see, the New Testament isn't all there is. Paul will cover that in a minute. He's saying to Timothy, this is what you've learned so far. Paul is not claiming that he's writing Scripture, even though he was, maybe even unknown to him. But Paul is writing it, but he's saying to him, you stay, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. He's saying the Old Testament points to Jesus. Jesus pointed back to the Old Testament, and then he said these are the apostles. It says in the New Testament that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. In heaven, when we see the temple, it's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. There's only 12. There are no new apostles today. There's a whole movement out there. The new Reformed Apostolic Movement, I think is, or something like that, R-A something. And uh, I forget the last initial. Where you can be an apostle. You send a certain guy 600 bucks, you can be one too. But they, they, there's new apostles, and whatever they say is like as if they were, they have as much authority as John did or James or Peter or any of them. We better understand the Bible says, here's the 12, that's it. And, that, and, and that today, what we have in the Scripture is all we have. And then he says, and by the way, it's the only place in the New Testament, those, how that is put there is put, the sacred writing. But notice, it makes you wise for salvation in Christ. The Scriptures point to Jesus, to Jesus, to Jesus. Always, never to self. The Bible, does, the Bible doesn't even point to the Holy Spirit in a way that we always talk about him, the Holy Spirit came to talk about Jesus. So if you are spirit-filled, you won't talk about the Spirit and how you can be filled with the Spirit. You talk about Jesus, because the way you're filled with Jesus is get saved, and you will be filled with the Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is salvation. And if you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. Romans 8, just go read it. You'll find that in there. And once you're baptized in the Holy Spirit then you can be filled with the Spirit. But again, you go to Jesus for that. Again, Acts chapter 2, verse 30 through 33. You can read that there. And so, so Paul says to Timothy, stay in the Scripture. And we come down to verse 16. He says, why? Because all Scripture is breathed out by God. Now, I told you we would cover the New Testament. These New Testament writers, every Easter, it's going to be in the news this Easter. I can promise you it will be. The Gospel of Jude. You, you will hear about all the, you, did you know that there's another book that was written back then and it says that Jesus was married or Jesus didn't physically rise from the dead or blah, 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 blah. Yeah, we've known that for 2,000 years. Scholars have known that since the beginning, since Jesus was around Trust me, it's not new news. We've covered that. And so, 
there came a point where all these people, hundreds of years after Jesus was gone, are writing new scriptures, or thinking they are, and some guys said, we need to get together and make sure that what we have is what God wants us to have. And so they did, and they settled on the books of the New Testament. The 27 books of the New Testament said, we believe these are the ones that God breathed out for us. Peter refers to Paul in his writings as scripture, by the way, in the Bible, in First and Second Peter. You can read that there. And they said, these are the books of the Bible. That's it. So I can write it in 350 A.D., or I can write it in 2020 A.D., and it ain't scripture. Period. And I don't care if some woman writes a devotional saying these are these are the words of jesus to me she's following two women mystics who would get out pencil and paper and be quiet and just let god speak and they would write it down and so she read about that and thought that was a good idea she wrote it down it's the largest selling devotion in the christian bookstore and people buy this and eat it up can't think of her name right now glad i didn't write it down what sarah young, sarah young thank you it's garbage, it's trash, it's pagan. This is the word of God. You've got to understand that. And you say, man, you're passionate. Dude, back off, I believe you, okay? I know how you're feeling because that's how I feel like I'm, I'm coming across because that's how it's hitting me. But friend, let me just tell you, we are in danger if we slip off of that. If we go one little bit off of that, we are messed up for good. And so here's what... The Bible tells us all Scripture. So if it's in Scripture, it is all Scripture. First he said the sacred writings, that's what you learned, Timothy. But now all Scripture that is Scripture is breathed out by God. And we've decided what Scripture is. We understand what Scripture is. We have settled that. All Scripture is breathed out by God. What does that mean? It means that God... Said it. It breathed it out. Just like when I talk, I'm breathing out. We're having to wear a mask because of COVID, supposedly, to keep our breath from hitting anybody else. The Bible does say that, I think it was Job said, even my breath is offensive to my wife. So we get that part, but this doesn't help with that much. But we're trying to protect ourselves. Listen, God spoke, the breath came out, and men wrote what he said. Now, if God said it, then there are some things about the Bible that are true. And you've heard these words. I just want to define them quickly because I want to finish in a few minutes. That is, it is inspired by God. It is inspired by God, each and every part. It is infallible. That means it will not lead you to error. It is infallible because it will not make you do something that is against God's will. It is inerrant. That means that in the original manuscripts that God gave us, and we are very uh, assured of those, we don't have them, but we're sure that we have accurate translations of those or, or transmissions of those. There is no error, but what we say is there's no error in the, original in the original writings. When they wrote it, it was right, and there's nothing wrong in it. And if that all be true, then it is authoritative. This is what tells us how to live and what to do. Okay? So God, it is, the Bible is God's communication to us. And the Bible then has authority. I just said it was authoritative. That's not in this, in, in this passage, but the sense of it is there. And so what is it good for? What is, what is it? Just to say that is not good enough. 
What it is good for is this. It is good for teaching. What does that mean? It is a positive source of Christian doctrine. This is where we learn what we believe. It is good to know what's in here. You see, when you say, yeah, I know the Bible says stuff, but I just want God to speak to me. Read the Bible. He'll speak to you. You say, well, I want to hear him. I want to hear an audible voice. Then read it out loud. That's not original with me, but I like that. Read it out loud if you want to hear it audibly. This is the Word of God, and nobody out there, I don't care who they are. And by the way, those who are honest would never claim to be speaking for God outside of Scripture. So it is good for te- it's good for reproof. What does that mean? It exposes error, especially in false teachers, but it also can be personal. When we see that we're in error, it can reprove us. uh, Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing even asunder of soul and spirit and joints in the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of my heart. The Bible speaks more uh, than just to my actions. It speaks to my intentions. And so it's good for reproof. Therefore, it's good for correction. It is a positive use of Scripture, and it, it convicts the misguided and redirects us. And this is uh, uh, the same sense, uh, and by the way, this is the only place in the New Testament this word is used, this correction. But it is the sense of, uh, that we need correction. It puts us on the right path. And the last thing it says is training in righteousness. And that's the same thing as it says in Ephesians, fathers, to train your children. It's discipline. The Bible disciplines us to moral living. It is the one that teaches us how to live that moral life. So if all that is true, guess what? You can trust the Bible. Simply, right? If all what I just said is true, then you and I ought to be able to trust the Bible. Listen, it makes a man, look what it says in verse 17. That the man of God might be complete, equipped for every good work. This is what makes us competent to be teachers. This is what makes us competent to be disciples. This is what makes us competent to follow Christ. And apart from the Bible... We have no assurance. This is, this is, this is, book is either absolute or it's obsolete. Did you hear me? I'm going to take a sip just so I can say that clearly again. This Bible is either absolute or it's obsolete. Either take it or throw it away. That's it. That's your two choices. There is no middle ground choice when it comes to the scripture. Either the scripture is enough or it's not enough. Now, if you think it's not enough, I just got one question for you. Have you squeezed every last drop out of this Bible? You say, I know, I know what the Bible says, but I just want more from the Lord. Well, let me ask you, have you understood every word of this Bible? Have you studied it out that you feel confident there's nothing new the Bible can teach you? There's nothing else you've got to learn from this. If that's true, then maybe God needs to speak to you outside of the Word. But until you can say that you can, there's nothing new for you to learn out of the Word, then you can't say that. God doesn't need to tell you anything new because you hadn't learned what He already said yet. Right? Okay, that makes sense, doesn't it? I know, I'm excited about this, I know, and I'm, I'm very passionate about it, but I've always been passionate about the Word of God, and I just, I don't know, God just said, you need to 
do this, so that's why I'm doing it. So what can you do about that? Well, first of all, have confidence in trustworthiness of the Bible. Have confidence in what God is saying in the Scriptures. Don't go looking for other sources. I'm not against devotional books. Sounds like I am. But when you read what somebody else said about the Bible, realize you're reading what somebody else said about the Bible. Read the Bible. You can read other things. I read other things. That's fine. But be, but be discerning. Know what God said. When somebody makes a claim, go, where'd they get that? I find that in people I trust and believe in. I go, wait a minute, dude, you just said something, but I don't know where you got that from, and I can't find where they got it from. I've asked some guys that a lot smarter than me, uh, excuse me, could you explain that? I don't ever challenge them. I just ask them to explain it. And, use, and, and, and sometimes they can, sometimes they can't. Study the Bible so it can work in your life. If you're, not stu- if you're not in the Scripture all the time, you've closed your heart and life and mind to what God wants you to know and to be and to do. See, everything I said in this sermon can be summed up in this. This book is sufficient for all of our faith, which is our teaching about God, and our practice, how we apply it. This book is good enough for that. And we use other books to help us understand and all of that. Again, I, I get that. But you need to study the Bible as your primary source so that you can live the life God wants you to live. And then thirdly, know that the Bible is the thing that makes you qualified to do what God called you to do. That's in that last verse there in Timothy. It is the scripture that qualifies you to minister. And by the way, God, God calls all of us to full-time Christian service. I want you to understand that. If you're saved, God called you to Christian service. And if God called you to Christian service, you better get to know him and know what he wants. And it's a scripture that qualifies you, but I'll tell you this too. God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. He didn't call you because you were something special. He called you, in fact, 2 Timothy tells us he didn't call you because you were special. He called you because you weren't so special. Because he didn't want anybody getting up and going, yeah, he called me because I'm the best. He wanted some guy to go, man, he called me because I'm dumb as a rock. That's why he called me. I need somebody explaining to me. I, I, I'm, not that, I'm not that bright. I'm just, I'm thankful that God is enough that he can make his word known to me. And so you need to know his word and know that the Bible will make you qualified to do what God wants you to do. To say, oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, you haven't been in your word? You haven't been reading your word? You haven't been letting God work in your life? Because if you have, he will make you able to do what he called you to do. And for you to say you're not good enough, either you're lying or you just want to tell me no. Does that make sense? I'm just telling you, we get a little sloppy in our thinking. I want to make sure we're thinking correctly. And so I want you to have a love for the Word. What would it be like if we had a church full of people just love the Word of God? I mean, I'm talking and you're just going, wait wait a minute. He better explain that. I'm going to listen a little bit longer and make sure. You, and if by the end of the sermon he ain't got that explained, I'm going to talk to him about it. That'd be awesome. That'd be great. Because I don't know everything, neither do you. Neither does any of us, but God knows everything. And everything we needed to know, he put down in writing, and we can know what he said. Amen? Amen. Father God, we love you. We thank you. Lord, we need you because we know that we are not sufficient for all these things. But Lord, we love you, and we love you because this word came to us. Some humans told us what this word said, and told us about you so that we could come to you. And your Holy Spirit did work in us in faith and gave us grace to believe the scriptures as it testified of Christ. 
And as we believed and put our trust in that, by the empowering of the Holy Spirit, now our lives gives glory to you alone, because you alone deserve that glory. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.